Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are excited this morning because we have another opportunity to study Scripture. The Gospel of John is always rich in a gold mine, full of truth and insight into the nature and character, the authority and the love of our great God and Savior, Jesus. Lord, we want to see you exalted this morning, as you already have been, even through our singing, as we exalted you through worship. We give you now, Lord, our full attention so we can learn what you want to reveal to us in your word. Expand our knowledge of your will as we share your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start today by kind of recapping what Pastor Jerome talked about last week. Um, I have difficulty remembering things due to my ADHD and didn't know this ahead of time, but Pastor Jerome and I share this malady. (laughs) And so, a bit differently. So we have like brains in some ways. So going back and reviewing, as I did, um, so that I could kind of hear where he was and where I needed to begin, um, he shared with us about the Samaritan woman. And there's probably hardly anyone here that doesn't really already know that story. But in study, I have found that there are so many little things that just make the power of that even more powerful. He told us that she came to the well at noon. And if you remember this story, she was doing that probably because of her reputation. Attempting to miss the crowds in the morning or the evening. And she has a very interesting history with men. She had five husbands in the past, if you remember, married and divorced five times. And according to our Lord, who has insight into her character, she is living with a man who isn't her husband. And Jesus knows that. But she didn't know that Jesus knew that. And this woman had a moment when she realized this man knows more than he has let on. And then in verse 19, she said, Sir, you must be a prophet. God is so gracious when dealing with us. Pastor Jerome asked us if we see ourselves in this woman. God wants us to be thirsty for worshiping in spirit and truth. Worship is the remedy of our spiritual thirst. I remember writing that down when he said that. Worship is the remedy of our spiritual thirst. We're made to worship. And we'll worship something if we don't worship Jesus. Pastor Jerome told us that we're wired to worship. We are yearning for peace. And we will worship something. 
For some, it's drugs, alcohol, sex, pornography, food, uh-oh, I'm meddling, control, approval, achievement, anything that defines us, anything that we think is going to give us comfort. It's the heart that drives our behavior. God wants us to see ourselves clearly. And we really don't. Because we are caught up in all of these things, and we really don't usually understand why. We have a lot of baggage from our old life that can interfere with true worship with our Lord and Savior in spirit and truth. So that remedy of what we are seeking for is worship itself. We have to make a choice. Choices are hard. We can turn away from all of our worldly attempts, which can be some negative things, or sometimes it's good things that we use to define ourselves. And we need to take a look at the condition of our heart. When the Lord is the treasure of our heart and we stop chasing whatever makes us feel good, then we're going to experience true worship and connection to God. The pastor told us that worship is the reason and the remedy for our spiritual thirst. He said to fight to keep Jesus the treasure of our heart. And we need to be honest with ourselves when we're confronted with missing the mark by all the things we do to try to find peace in our life. Pastor Jerome then told us to to surrender to what God wants for us, and that is to worship the Lord and experience his love and healing. And in chapter 4 of John, he is giving us illustrations of how that happened and how that transformed lives and how it can also transform ours. Let's continue with verse 20 of the fourth chapter of John. The Samaritan woman says to Jesus, So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worshipped? Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship. Well, we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. Then in verse 23 says, But the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Well, I have said in spirit and truth probably 10 or 12 times already. What does that mean? What did he mean? Well, first it's important to understand what worship is. 
many equate worship with singing and the music in the church. And that is, that is a part of worship. It's one aspect. But worship is in no way limited to singing. It is a full life response to the object of our worship, who is our Lord. When we truly worship, it affects the way we live. One way to look at worship is to think of it as worth-ship. W-O-R-T-H, worth. And many of us strive to figure out what our worth is, where we struggle with that. When we worship something, we declare it as worthy. Psalm 145.3 tells us, Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. And no one can measure his greatness. And the Greek word used for worship implies an attitude of reverence. And it also includes such physical gestures as kissing the hand or kneeling. Psalm 95, 6 tells us, Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. We worship something when we act as if it has value. So by nature, human beings are worshipers. But sometimes our worship is focused on that which is actually worthy of reverence, like God. But other times it's misdirected. For instance, we worship our work, or our bank accounts, or fashion, or I've been certainly guilty of worshiping my grandchildren. Because I feel the value that's in them, and I focus a lot of my time and energy and finances on making sure they're happy. Worship is a life response to the worthiness of an object. So when we worship God, we do so in response to who he is. So we can sing songs and we can worship, but we have to look beyond just the words. We have to say it's because of who he is. Psalm 52, 9 says, I will praise you forever, O God, for what you have done. I will trust in your good name in the presence of your faithful people. So our attitudes and actions reflect that we believe the character and conduct of God to be worthy of praise and adoration. And sometimes our worship is expressed through corporate singing, teaching, giving, but it's also expressed in our daily lives through prayer, scripture reading, acts of kindness, gratitude, pure thoughts, And it can go on and on. Next, we need to look at what it is to worship in spirit and in truth. It's important to know that we do this simultaneously. We don't worship in spirit in one setting and in truth in another. Those things are together in spirit and in truth at, at the same time at once. Our spirit is the core of who we are. You know, there's our spirit, our body, our soul, that three parts of us, and that in our spirit, 
we reach to worship. And that's doing something that is beyond physical. So we don't worship by simply bowing our knees. We worship through a heart posture. It's what we are experiencing and feeling through our heart. Our worship is in line with worshiping and going on, with worship that's going on in heaven. Psalm 148 tells us, praise the Lord, praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him from the skies, praise him all his angels, praise him all the armies of heaven. So heaven is full of praise and full of worship. And worshiping in truth means that we worship based on the truth. The truth about who God is and what he does. Hence why he is worthy of worship. It also includes the truth about our circumstances. We worship God even when we are experiencing heartache. When we worship him, we do not forget about our hurt, but we worship even in the truth of our hurt. We also worship in joyful circumstances. Truth itself can be a means of worship. We worship God when we declare his truth. So to worship God in in spirit and in truth, then, is to declare that God is worthy of our reverence. We do this both through our emotional core and in, in the light of reality. We worship God based on the truth of who he is, the truth of who we are, the truth of what God does, and the truth of what is going on in our world. We worship God with our attitudes, actions, and words declare that he is worthy of our praise. We know that verse and a song, worthy is the lamb who was slain. What does it mean to be a worshiper of God in spirit and in truth? The Samaritan woman was making it about geography. She was saying, well, where, where should we worship? Should we worship here in the temple, your temple, my temple, my church, your church? And we have to realize that Jesus is saying very clearly that geography is irrelevant. We don't wait to come to church, hopefully, to worship. We can worship at any time. To be true worship, it has to be two things. It has to be candid, and it has to be credible. It has to be candid in spirit. That means it's authentic. It's real. It's not fake. It's from the spirit. And that spirit is not the Holy Spirit here. In spirit is not referring to the Holy Spirit, but to your spirit. In the Greek language, the word is enumity. In spirit, in spirit, not in the spirit. So we, our spirit has to participate in order to worship. 
So that three distinct parts of us, our body, soul, and our spirit, our spirit has to be touched. It has to come from the core of us. It has to be real, and it has to be authentic. It's you. And the deepest part of you, your spirit that is worshiping God. And that's the idea of worshiping in spirit. You see, a person can worship on a physical level, even on an emotional level, but still may not be really worshiping God. People can get all hyped up and say, oh, look, they are really being emotional in their worship. But it could possibly be not authentic because only that person would know that. Or physically, we can be on our knees. We can come to the altar and pray. Close our eyes. Some of us raise our hands. And all that is good and all that is proper. But you can do all of that and it can just be going through the motions that maybe you think you have to go through. Jesus said, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, saying, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain they worship me, teaching his doctrine the commandments of men. So it has to be real. It has to be something that you're proposing in your own heart, your own spirit, which makes it then authentic. Then it has to be credible. It has to be based on truth. It says in spirit and in truth. And real worship is more than sincerity and being earnest. How many times have you had somebody describe someone to you and said, they are so sincere? That means it has to be based on knowledge. The Samaritans had an incomplete knowledge. Do you know that they only believed in the first five books of Moses? And that is the only scripture that they believed in. They didn't have the full revelation of scripture which was the Old Testament at that time. So it was an incomplete knowledge base. Failure to worship God authentically can always be traced back to the fact of not having correct knowledge and information. And I think that that is why Pastor Jerome and our elders are supporting us going through Scripture like this because we are really looking at What does it say? Because as I go through scripture, sometimes it just goes over the top of my head. And so it's necessary that we study. And I'm grateful that we have a pastor who most of the time does all that studying for us. And so that's why sincerity is not enough. It has to be in spirit and it has to be truth. It has to be based on the truth of Scripture. Let's look at verse 25. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. There are some scholars that say she kind of sarcastically was saying that because, you know, they were wanting a Messiah. 
but they certainly didn't think that he was going to be right there. And then in verse 26, Jesus says, I am the Messiah. And at that same time, his disciples came back. You remember where the disciples were? Jesus was at the well at noon having a conversation with this Samaritan woman. They had gone into town to get some food. So his disciples came back, and they were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her, or why are you talking to her? Because in those days, it was frowned upon to be talking to women. And then verse 28, the woman left, and she let She left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone. Now, why did she go to the well to start with? To get water. And the purpose of her journey was to take her water jar and fill it up. And now, all of a sudden, she leaves the very thing that brought her there. Why? Because something just happened. Yeah, something just happened. She was touched in a way. She was drinking from a well of water that is satisfying her thirst. Speaking of. Just in this little encounter that is greater even than the water she came to fetch. She got it. So she left her water pot. And now she's on a mission. Let's look at that mission in verse 29. She went back home. Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Whoa. Not sure I'd want to be the one that was thinking that, that someone would know everything I've ever done. And... She said, could he possibly be the Messiah? So she tells them what happened. She tells them about this man. You're going to see how it affects them in the story. And that's why we want to look at in spirit and in truth. Because the Samaritan woman had that experience. One person having one conversation, one encounter with Jesus, is going out and being a spokesperson. And besides that, when people saw her coming, those that knew her knew her reputation. And so I imagine that they weren't real quick to think, oh, here's a person with lots of knowledge. And don't we do that? Don't we judge? Don't we say, oh, not that person. They probably don't know the Lord. Never underestimate the one conversation you have with a person. Sometimes we'll talk to somebody about the Lord, and then we walk away and we say, hmm, I don't think that's going to do much good. There isn't any hope for them. Nothing's going to come of this. And for me personally, I know I've had those thoughts. But over the years, I have come to see that the conversations that I've had in the past with people that I never thought had any effect on them whatsoever, they 
would come back to me and tell me that that conversation was part of their journey to knowing the Lord. It helped them make a decision. So never underestimate how the Lord is using the seeds that you're planting. Because someone like the Samaritan woman, she didn't just plant seeds. She made a big stir and, and many, many changes. She was the catalyst. And many will believe in Jesus because of her words and her testimony and her witness of what she experienced with Jesus. So there's many different ways to evangelize the world. We've all seen now that, you know, there some it's evangelists. Sometimes it's a big concert, and then someone speaks, and lots of people are making a decision to come to the Lord. In some of those evangelistic services, sometimes there's a thousand people at a time that come forward to accept the Lord. So people think, wow, we should do more of that because we will win the world. But Evangelism Explosion, an organization that is very much into evangelizing, wrote an article that said, even if we did one of those events every day for the rest of time, and a thousand people accepted the Lord every night, we still wouldn't be catching up to evangelizing the whole world because of so much population and, and birth and all those things. There are more people than a thousand people every day being born. But the same report said that if there were no other people, and let's say it was just me, and I won one person to the Lord, And then that person and I won somebody to the Lord. And then each time, each one of those people were winning someone to the Lord. It would be 8, and then it's going to be 16, and then 32, then 64. And that by the end of 35 years, they calculated that there'd be no unbelievers left. So one conversation the world could be one to Christ. The power of a single conversation, like the woman at the well, a single witness. So there was a reason Jesus needed to go through Samaria, even though they believed differently and weren't going to be very open to him. He touched a woman's heart, and that woman now goes out to speak to lots of other people. So we look at verse 30. It says, So the people came streaming from the village to see him. And meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. Remember, they went to get their food. You know how sometimes we just have to follow the plan? All of this is going on, and they're worried about him eating food. And he was having that conversation, and he knew what it meant. That the disciples, they were focused on one thing. And Jesus knew what was more important. And people now are coming. They're streaming. Imagine. 
takes me back 20 years, folks, to when we streamed from that school over there. Some of you were there. And we walked across. We had balloons, and we were so excited, and we walked across Cary Road, and we walked up. First time we did it, we, it was an empty lot. And we prayed for this ground. And then, four years later, so 2000, we, four years we were praying to get this building raised up. And we walked across in 2004, if you've ever looked at the cornerstone out there. It's the only way I can really remember it. But 2004, we streamed in those doors, and we came in here and sat down and asked the Lord to bless this church and bless the people in it and bless our community. And that's where we still are going. The disciples meant well, but Jesus wanted them all to also to see the importance of one conversation. So in verse 32, he says, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. And then they say, out of their humanness, again, sometimes, didn't I tell you, the, the spiritual stuff goes right over my head. Well, I like these guys. Because <laughs> it, it happened to them, too. Because they said to him, did someone bring him food while we were gone? Now, I don't know if they were frustrated because somebody else was doing their job, or whether they just didn't know what on earth was going on. These disciples just didn't get the spiritual meaning of what Jesus said. So often spiritual truth can go over our head until we hear it a second or a third or a fifteenth time. Yep, I relate to these guys. Then verse 34. Then Jesus explained... My nourishment comes from the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. Now, Jesus said, I have food to eat that you don't know of. He's speaking spiritually, and they're thinking physically. Similarly, in Deuteronomy 8, the verse says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Don't misunderstand what the Lord is saying. Jesus isn't saying, well, really spiritual people don't need to eat. He's not saying that. What he's saying is that there's nothing more satisfying in life than doing the will of the Father. That's what he means by it. And if you have ever had the blessed opportunity of leading someone to the Lord, sharing the gospel with them, you know how blessed you felt and how elated you were. You know the elation of that. So now things shift a little. We're going to go on to verse 35. and it, The metaphor changes from eating food that you don't know of to farming. So now he's talking about planting and harvesting. Verse 35, you know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. 
What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike? You know the saying, one plants and another harvests, and it's true. Verse 38 says, I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work, and now you'll get to gather the harvest. So Jesus used the physical reality of these little seedlings, those little green shoots that come out of the ground. Uh, in our community garden, anytime when we start and they plant, and then they start seeing those little shoots come out of the ground, they are really excited. I know not everybody has a green thumb, and I'm one of them. But I think it's so wonderful in the spring when you start seeing the buds on the trees. He is explaining the spiritual reality. That reference to four months between planting and harvesting is the approximate time that it took when they planted to when the harvest was. But now he's trying to see that that now is the time spiritually to look around and see the fields because you, you know who's coming. The people are streaming in, right? They're streaming to learn more about Jesus. They're ready. They are ripe for harvest. They're not just this little thing. They believed what the woman at the well said, and they wanted to seek Jesus. They're there, and they have needs, and they're ready to hear more about the Lord. And that's what we as Radiant want to be able to do and accomplish in our community. So look at verse 39. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. See, that got people's attention. Because they, many of them knew what she had done and what her life was like, and hopefully they loved her and showed her grace. Hopefully. Because that's what we would want to do. She shared the truth with them so that they could see the changes in her life. When she said that Jesus knew all of her sins without being told, he knew all about the marriages, all about the divorces, how she was living now. He knew all about it. And she still says, I'm believing in him and I want my life changed because of him. Some of us aren't as gracious to have somebody point out what's in our life that the Lord doesn't want to have in our life. And we usually get defensive and angry. This woman was able to not react that way and see that that meant something wonderful. And so she was beginning to drink from that fountain that could quench the thirst in her soul, that there was reason why she did the things she did. That woundedness was there. She wasn't a bad person. That's why we all choose some things that aren't the things we should be choosing, because we have that thirst. So in verse 40, when they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two more days. Long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Verse 42 said, Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves 
Now we know that he is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Many believed because of her personal witness. Many more believed because of his powerful word. They listened to her. They were driven to him. And being driven to him, they made personal investigation and checked it out. They surrendered their hearts to him. It's a beautiful, beautiful story. And then in verse 42, they said, This is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. And as I wrap up today, I want you to realize that Samaritans, the ones who had little knowledge because they were limited in what they would believe, that's the first time in the Bible that the first group ever called Jesus the Savior of the world. We need to think, how does this apply to me? This is the first, the first miracle Jerome had already talked about was turning the, the water into wine. And then what will be coming up next which I'm getting more and more excited for already, is the second miracle, where the nobleman's son was dying. We want to recognize that Jesus is the answer. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you've been divorced five times. It doesn't matter if you're a political leader like the nobleman, you'll find out about him. And he had a good bank account. Money isn't everything. What really matters is that Jesus is the answer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for showing us Jesus in every verse of John in, this, in chapter 4. Help us all to share Jesus with others and help people to see Jesus as the Christ. And not any form of lower description will do. To not be concerned with rituals and locations, but to have a deep yearning hunger to worship you, Lord, in our hearts, in spirit, and in truth. For the Father desires us to worship him in spirit and truth, and that is our call to you, Lord. Teach us to be able to get back to that root of worshiping you in the deepest parts of our being. Help us to make a priority of others in need before our own needs. As we go through many trials in our lives, help us to remember that you are always there, watching over us in good times and bad. And then in all cases, Jesus is the answer. We thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. As we leave this morning, our hearts, we want them to sing a new song. We want to think that, okay, I feel close to God. I feel that I'm worshiping him. What if there's another step? What if there's another way of just realizing and being in God's presence that would lift us even closer to feeling his presence? So whatever burdens you're carrying today, I I want you 
The Lord wants you to roll them over onto him and ask him to carry them for you because the Lord knows the end from the beginning. So it's only reasonable that our trust in the Lord would be absolute. So if you're here this morning and have realized that you've not put your total trust in the Lord by accepting him as your Lord and Savior, I encourage you to speak to someone. And I'm going to be here waiting to talk to you if you would like to make that choice of saying, I want Jesus in my life, and I want to serve him in spirit and in truth. God bless you. Go in peace.